Positive Aging with Patricia Raskin is the podcast that provides empowerment, inspiration, and education for older adults to thrive in their golden years. It's produced by Rhode Island PBS and made possible through the generous support from South Coast Health, Cochlear, Greenwood Credit Union, Bama Companies, and Balancing Life's Issues. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Positive Aging. I'm Patricia Raskin. Today, we're talking about what it takes to be truly healthy and age in a better way with an easy-to-follow roadmap to find true, authentic health and successful aging in today's fast-moving world. My guest is Dr. Roger Landry. Dr. Roger Landry is a preventative medicine physician. He's president and chief content officer of Masterpiece, a group of multidiscipline specialists in healthy longevity who partner with communities to enrich their wellness offerings and with individuals to support their healthy longevity strategy. Dr. Landry is the author of the award-winning book, Live Long, Die Short, a guide to authentic health and successful aging. As a researcher, consultant, and author and speaker, Dr. Landry is a powerful voice for healthy longevity. Welcome, Dr. Roger Landry. Great to have you on the program. Oh, Patricia, thank you. I always jump at the opportunity. It's always such a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. So let's talk about the title of your book. It's very interesting. Live Long, Die Short. What do you mean, really? Well, from a public health standpoint, uh, it uh, it reflects a concept in public health called the compression of morbidity. What that basically is, is that we want to compress the time that we're sick and impaired. So we want to be at our very best for as long as possible and only have a relatively short time. So it's live long, die short. Maybe it could be live long, die quickly, but uh, you know, for <laughs> grammatical balance, that's what came out. <laughs> Which is great. So, you know, when we're looking at our health and longevity, it's also important, you write this in your book, to look at our past family history and our generational roots. Why do you think that's important? Just to find out our health status or are there other reasons? No, I think there's some very important reasons. Well, first of all, someone would immediately think, well, your genes, right? That's what's doing it. Right. Well, the actually, no. The the, uh, the research is very clear that genes probably account for about a third of how we age. And uh, except for the very, very old, the ones who become centenarians, usually they have a very, very strong genetic propensity. But what we're really talking about here, much more importantly, is our species roots, And as a species, as humans, uh, for 99% of the time we've been on Earth, we were hunter-gatherers, and we lived a particular lifestyle, and we survived as a species because of that lifestyle. Now, lots have changed uh, in in the last few centuries, but that's only a second or so uh, from the time that we've been on Earth. So it's pretty arrogant if we ignore the lifestyle that we had for 99% of the time to think it's no longer uh, applicable. The fact is, is that, yes, society has changed, but what we require in our physiology hasn't changed as quickly, and therefore that lifestyle of frequent movement, having a strong social connection, everyone having a role, a social compact, you help me, I'll help you. What we ate, basically a Mediterranean diet, Mm. and relationship to nature, all those things were critically important. And we tend to be moving away from some of them. Your work in your book is really about living longer, having a higher quality of life without the pain and expense and burden to our families. And you talk about three characteristics, and some of them you just mentioned. You talk about those who age successfully minimize the risk of disease and disabilities. They continue to engage with life, 
and they maintain physical and cognitive function, which you're kind of alluding to that that's what our ancestors did by their lifestyle. Exactly, Patricia. That's exactly right. Now, those three uh, characteristics came from the MacArthur long-term study on aging, which uh, uh, which was a comp, which was done. Oh, I don't know, maybe uh, between the mid '80s to the mid '90s of of uh, 20th century, and uh, their conclusion to age successfully was mostly dependent on your lifestyle. And those three things were critically important, and they still are. However, we've learned a lot more also in the in the time since then. And although their research has been validated, we also know the importance of things like, well, especially since the pandemic, resilience. Yes. What is resilience and where does that come from? And we refine many of the things in lifestyle. And Dr. Khan himself, uh, who wrote uh, the book, Successful Aging, uh, with with his uh, with with Jack Rowe, and they were with the MacArthur Foundation. He also told me once that uh, if he were to rewrite the book, he's passed now, but he would have put a lot more into the whole idea of uh, call it spirituality, or call it peace and fulfillment, or call it just meaning and purpose. He feels that those are critical, and uh, and it's not mentioned in their book, and we know now they are critical. This podcast is made possible in part by South Coast Health, a not-for-profit community-based health system that provides a clinical and caring experience to every life we touch in southeastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island. To learn more, visit southcoast.org. You have 10 tips to achieve authentic health and successful aging. So I want to go through them all because they're just, they're, they're terrific. They're easy, they're quick, and explain them. The first one, which I love, use it or lose it. Well, we all heard that from our grandmother, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's really true. Uh, I think it was brought home to me uh, in my military time. I worked some, what were the astronauts in the, in the shuttle, and, and uh, especially those first space missions, not the shuttle, but before. Uh, here are these finest space athletes we had, and within 10 days or so, they would be unable to stand. Uh, some of them had to be carried off with a stretcher because in, in weightlessness, we didn't use our muscles and our bones the way they were meant to. And, you know, we uh, were a sedentary society still today, and uh, we're, we're learning that uh, being sedentary is uh, is a is a huge risk. Uh, a recent paper out of the Mayo Clinic said uh, that sitting is the new smoking. And they actually did the, did the work. And it showed that it was indeed more harmful to us sitting, which again, most of us do our form of weightlessness, uh, than smoking a half pack of cigarettes for your life. And that brings me to the second tip, which is keep moving. There you go. Our ancestors, uh, we still have some hunter-gatherer tribes, and they take up to 23,000 steps a day. And mm. so that's what we did. And that's what our how our bo bodies were formed and what they, uh, you know, what the sort of movement they require. And as I said, we're a sedentary society. We're not doing that. I mean, we don't have to do that much, but we have to be moving. Yeah. How many miles do you think that is, Roger? 23,000 steps. What do you think? Uh, that that uh, that depends upon the length of your step, but that that boils down to about at least four four to five miles a day. Every day, yes. every day. 
Yeah. Um, so it it's uh you know the problem. I don't even like to use the e word exercise when I talk about this because I you know that scares some people away. I want to yes. read as many as possible. So it's about moving. It's it's about uh, uh bringing movement into your life. Uh, uh, parking further, taking stairs uh, when you're on the phone at home, walking around rather than sitting. It's it's about you can program it with exercise and program movement into your life, but it's much more important that it is part of our life, that it is an inherent part. We have to move. We think better. We're stronger muscles, stronger bones. Uh, we're our cardiovascular system, but we're creatures of movement and uh, we got to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that we have to move is challenging our brain. We sometimes forget about that and talk about challenging and moving our brains. We're learning a lot about that. I think we were somewhat fatalistic for such a long time, Patricia, that there was nothing much we could do. In fact, in medical school, that's what I learned. You had so many neurons about when you reach the late 20s, and after that, you only lost neurons and you never made them. We know that that's not true, and we know that the brain has a has a, a trait called neuroplasticity. Yes. Which I know you know about, but it's the lifelong ability of the brain to rewire itself in response to illness, sickness, or what we ask it to do. At so, any age, right? At, at any age. At any age, the lifelong ability. You are absolutely right. And so we don't have to accept that our brains are are, are going to just decline. Yes, we some things become a little harder, but we can accommodate that. And if we continue using our brains, they can function close to 100% for our lifetime. And part of that, too, in using our brains is staying connected to other people. The connection is one of our basic needs, Roger. It's one of our basic tenets. It is why we're alive today as a species, because we banded together, and it is an inherent part of who we are. You know, life is tough, and people can hurt us, and we can be set up defense mechanisms and think we're better alone, but in the end, we are better together. There is absolutely no question. I'll tell you a quick story. A friend of mine was shot down in Vietnam. He was a prisoner for seven years and was frequently tortured and frequently in solitary confinement, and he told me that when they came to get him to bring him to be tortured, he was act- actually happy because, really? because he met with humans, uh... touched him, even though it was maybe a little roughly. He didn't like the torture, but that was less painful than solitary. And I, I think our, our penal system is beginning to realize that this is inhumane. Yes. And, uh, and we yes. need each other and connections are important. That's, a, that's an interesting story. Because that's not what you'd expect. No. You'd expect that the pain would outweigh the isolation, but it doesn't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, fascinating. Very moving to me. He's a good friend, and he's a tough guy, tough nut to survive. But uh, that story just uh, mm. really caught my attention. Mm. Another tip you have is lowering your risks. Does that mean in terms of not smoking, um, having less alcohol, less caffeine? What does that mean? It does all those things. You know, it's crazy for us to to uh, think we're going to live forever if we don't pay attention to those things that can chip away at our longevity and our health. And so it's all the preventive things, too. You're getting the colonoscopies, the mammographies on all those things. Uh, You know, my, my father died of colon cancer, and I know that I will not die of colon cancer because I'm going to pay attention. And uh, I'm going to every five years when they chase me with a six foot snake, I am going to let them catch me because I know that it's uh, detectable, it's treatable, and it's a slow grower. So I may get it, 
But if I pay attention to that risk, uh, I will not die of it. This podcast is made possible in part by Cochlear, the global leader in implantable hearing solutions, helping people of all ages to hear and connect with life's opportunities. To learn more, visit www.cochlear.us slash aging. Okay, let's look at the last five of your tips. They're all wonderful and never act your age. I love this one. (laughs) Uh, We've been told that our whole lives, right? Well, uh, when we act our age, what we're basically doing is buying into the stereotype that is very uh, that's out there. Ageism mm-hmm. still exists, even yes. if it's not malevolent, it still exists, and we're buying into that that we're that aging is only about decline, and that's just the way it is. And to do uh, to continue to grow, to continue to challenge yourself, to scare yourself every now and then, these things were not part of uh, of aging in a better in in. In a proper way, let's say previously. So now I I advise people do not act your age. You know, surprise people. And luckily, I think more and more we're seeing the new older adult. Uh, that's their mantra. And think about our ancestors. They didn't act their age. They couldn't because it was survival. It was. Now now you can you can argue they only lived to be 30, 35. Yeah. It was uh, trauma and infections that killed them. And up until COVID, <laughs> it, we were dying all of chronic diseases. Now, COVID put through a wrench in that, but so uh, with infectious disease, but it's chronic disease primarily. And so it it, it, it applies to us. We we uh, have to pay attention to our risks and it can make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Number seven, wherever you are, be there. And so that means be here, be present. Absolutely. And Patricia, I got to tell you, you know, Curly and City Slickers, he says it's the one thing, you know, that that it's important in your life. And I, for me, I have learned in my years that uh, mindfulness, this, this applies mm-hmm. to being present, to being mindful. Uh, we rush around, we think about the future, we think about the past, and we don't live in the present. You know, life is only a series of moments. You miss those moments, you miss your life. And this is really sadly happening. And it does set us up for uh, a a higher risk for all the big players, you know, uh, be it dementia, heart disease, cancer, and it takes away from the quality of our life and our relationships, all of which we need in order to, to experience a healthy longevity. Yeah, I just talked with someone who said, it's not about stability, because that's not what life is. It's not, it's about the different challenges. It's bouncing back. It's new experiences. We think it's always going to be about, oh, once it's stable, once I have this, then it's okay. Well, I think our Buddhist colleagues tell us that because they say life has changed. Everything is impermanent. And it, to the extent that you hold on to something so tightly, you're going to be grossly disappointed. And uh, and so it's about accommodating, realizing, uh, living in this moment and realizing that things will change. And it's a, it's up to us to adapt to that, to accept it. Like if you have a flat tire, you can rail against the tire gods. You know, go ahead. You're just wasting your time. Make a plan. Uh, and do it. Actually, Eckhart Tolle in his book, the power of now says when you're faced with a stressful situation, make a, you know, fix it or make a plan to fix it, you know, walk away from it. If it's not yours, your problem, like politics or something, or accept it, which most of us have to do. And anything else is, is insane. 
Yeah, well, it doesn't help you, right? The shoulda, woulda, coulda. It doesn't help you. Right. And that speaks to tip eight, which is find your purpose. And we hear this a lot. Have meaning in your life. It's so important. You know, man, I've sadly seen some people who after they retire said, you know, all my goals, all my purpose is gone. And they seem to accept that, that that's part of life. No, purpose is something that evolves. It, it evolves to where you are. Yeah, you had your you had your education, then you had your career, you had your family, your children, and and all of these things were your purpose for the most part. And now as you get older, it's even it's a glorious possibility there because you can seek out a purpose that was not thrust upon you by your decisions that you made before and and it's a, it's a time where you can dig down deep as to who you are what you want to do but it usually one that really is going to help you is usually involves other living things either humans or creatures or the mm. planet or something those are the purposes that really mean something a real quick one the the oldest man in australia is out Al, is alfie date and uh he i think he's passed now but he lived to be 106 and his purpose was to get up every day to knit sweaters for penguins <laughs> they had been exposed to oil and wow. by putting these sweaters on they couldn't preen their feathers and ingest the oil and oh. so they would survive that's what did it for him oh. it's, it's different for everyone you know someone can't tell you what your purpose is but you got to find it it doesn't have to be grandiose it just has to get you out of bed in the morning and one of them could be tip number nine which is have children in your life and i might add have pets in your life too if you can Oh, I totally agree with that. Uh, and children, it really, uh, it's even beyond children. It's intergenerational. You know, mm. Dostoevsky said the soul is healed by being with children. And it is true. You know, we see it for those of us who have uh, grandchildren in particular. But it, that's that's not required uh, that you have great, your real grandchildren. Uh, it's a circle of life. It's very important. And it gives us meaning and where we stand in the circle of life to deal with other generations, you know, we're, we're kind of told, and I think, unfortunately, most of us believe that uh, younger generations don't want to have anything to do with us. And it's not true. It is, you know, if Agreed. once they put down their technology, their phones Agreed. and everything, I, I don't think it's true. And for most of the time we've been on Earth, it was a real resource to have an older, an elder in your society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the wisdom and they're survivors you know yeah and and i work with college students um they're my student interns and they're 20 somethings and i learned so much from them and they learned from me and it's Absolutely. a wonderful experience wonderful now your last tip laugh to a better life that also helps you with uh serotonin in the brain right oh, it and kind of gives a massage to your internal organs it definitely does. We're talking quality of life here. Laughter draws people to us, so there's social connection. And the data is very, very clear. Someone who has a positive outlook lives seven and a half years longer than someone with a negative outlook. The I didn't half, know that. That's the half full person gets to enjoy that half fullness for much longer than the half empty people. Wow. And so there's a lot going on there that we still have to find out about, but it's not only longer, it's a higher quality just because exactly. they're, it's positive. It's like exactly. positive. Exactly. Wow. That's amazing. Seven and a half years. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a, that's a good chunk of time. <laughs> that's a lot. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This podcast is made possible in part by Greenwood Credit Union, which offers locally based full service banking where our focus is on you. 
To learn more, visit greenwoodcu.org. So before we move on, because I want to ask you about the future, I just want to kind of do a synopsis of what you've talked about. You've talked about moving every day, learning something new to stimulate the brain, reaching out and doing something, even if it scares you, and then finding your purpose and quieting your mind and setting expectations, but ones that you can follow. It's not that hard, is it? I mean, it's it's almost intuitive. These are These are not difficult things to do. We have to maybe be reminded, and we are all affected by the ageism that has been around us for our whole lives. Again, not necessarily malevolent, but, you know, putting us on the margins of society with low expectations of our later years. And it, it, we, we, it, it, the, the research is very, very powerful, very, very clear. It does not have to be that way. And uh, these things, you know, moving, learning, connection, you know, finding that thing that quiets your mind, if only for a little while, meditation or walk in the woods or whatever. These things are simple, and yet the rewards are immense. Yes, yes. And in other cultures, we don't have the ageism we have here. Isn't that true? Uh, that is true. Uh, in mo- in many cultures, uh, particularly on it's uh, it's it's interesting, particularly in uh, in cultures that uh, third world or uh, I don't want to say more primitive, but let's just say uh, not as developed as we are. They tend to be more like we have been as humans for most of the time we've been on Earth, valuing their older adults. Yes. You've heard of the blue zones, of course. Of course. And uh, I've interviewed Dan Butner. He's amazing. And he tells the story of uh someone in, in in okinawa if you ask someone how old they are they'll lie to you and tell you they're older because to be old is to not only be revered it's to be an essential part of the society with an obligation as well as a uh a position of uh of, of esteem and uh, a source of wisdom in guiding the culture mm-hmm. and we've gotten so far from that but we're going to get back there because our current crop of older adults, they're uh, they're going to be heard from again. like Exactly. They're... And they'll set the example. Yeah, they'll set the example. So what does the future hold, Roger? What, what do you see? Where will we live? What will we do? What will we buy? I mean, what do we see? Well, first of all, I, I believe that all we have learned is, uh, is, is going to, and we just alluded to it, is going to significantly affect an older adult and their expectations for this third chapter in their lives. They are going to want to stay engaged. They are going to want experience. And now, you know, you could call that travel, but, you know, I would call it just just enough engagement that we want new experiences. Uh, Next year, I just decided I'm going to go to Dublin and be a student for uh for about two months or so uh until uh, the visa they kicked me out of the country just for a new experience and for an intergenerational experience but these and i believe where we're going to live is going to make sure it's not going to isolate us it is going to engage us particularly with many generations and it'll be a place where we continue to learn and move where we're stimulated to laugh more and to find our purpose, all the things we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a very, there'll be many creative solutions for where we live, mm-hmm. but it's all to, all to the uh, the goal of being able to live a lifestyle that is clearly shown to result more likely in a healthy longevity. And also more intergenerational. 
Absolutely. Not, not Absolutely. so. Right. Absolutely. They together more no. with Senior other living. generations. Yeah. True. Senior living is great and they do wonderful things, but it is evolving and it has to evolve with the new older adult. And we can still have senior living, but a senior living experience that, as you just said, uh, engages with uh, the uh, other generations and yes. engages in all of the areas of lifestyle that 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 older adults are looking for. The new older adult is not yes. going to just be like the greatest generation who were great, but didn't expect much when they got older. You write about 80 things to do when you're 80. All right, Roger, we have a few minutes left. Or just give us like the top five. Well, uh, I, I contributed to that book, uh, and I believe it's it's uh, somewhat what we've just been talking about. Find your creative side. Some people never do, uh, and some people have been creative most of their life, but find a new creative side. And to do things that, that actually shake up your world a little bit, scare you a little bit. Uh, so do something that uh, is out of the ordinary that will make your family say, what? What are you doing? <laughs> because they worry about you, but yeah, you, you can't. There's such a thing as dignity of risk. So you should be able to take a risk, you know, a safe risk is, you know, there's okay. living is risky, but there's you should have the dignity of being able to put yourself at a little risk. And, right. and your family and society shouldn't tell you you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that, uh, you know, the example of the elders, uh, that group founded by Nelson Mandela, I think more and more we're going to have older adults who want to give back. Play, pay it forward with their wisdom and experience. Yes. And I think we're going to be guided more than than we were in the past, where we would just say, live a good lifestyle. And, for, you know, uh, as you see in the book, I have a, as a questions that uh, prompted people to evaluate their lifestyle. Uh, my The group I work with, we 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 put, took that further for a lifestyle review. And during COVID, we developed it even further. The point is, is that you, you be able to assess your lifestyle, your physical physical, intellectual, social, your peace and fulfillment side, that spiritual side, that your your movement and motion and you and relate that all to your personal attributes, you know, like things like mindset that we've been talking about and your emotional intelligence, all of that mix. You should be able to evaluate that and then chart a course, you know, with or without help through content and through activities and experiences that will particularly help you and where you need that. So a very personal experience. You know, we're seeing it now more and more with social media where uh, young people, older people want a personal experience. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to require that. And so uh, we're getting ready for it, but I think our society will also. Just a wonderful interview and inspirational. Thank you. Positive Aging with Patricia Raskin is produced by Rhode Island PBS and made possible in part by South Coast Health, Cochlear, Greenwood Credit Union, Bama Companies, and Balancing Life's Issues. For more information, please visit ripbs.org slash positive aging.